Good morning and welcome to the story. We are going through the major narratives of the Bible and today we're going to look at King David again. As you recall, we talked about David last time. He's the only one that gets two lessons because more is said about David than any other person in the Bible with the exception of Jesus Christ. Now today, we're going to look at the trials of a king and this king has some trials, believe me. We're going to look at the story of his repentance and a psalm that he writes in Psalm 51. If you want to open your Bibles there, that's a good place to begin. And while you're doing that, let me just briefly review where we have been so far in our first lesson about David. If you recall, David was just a shepherd boy. He had killed a lion, he had killed a bear, and he had killed a giant. And then Samuel anoints him to be the next king. And then everything kind of began to spiral downhill from there. He lost his job. He lost his wife. He lost his best friend, Jonathan. He lost his mentor, Samuel. And he lost his dignity. If you recall in that story last time we mentioned, he had to act like a crazy man in front of his enemies in order to save his life. King Saul finally dies on the battlefield. And David now, although he was anointed king years ago, he's now inaugurated. He's now appointed king. He is 30 years old as we begin today's story. And David never knew defeat in battle for some 20 years. Can you imagine 20 years of battle, victory after victory. He expanded the kingdom. When he he took over in place of Saul, the kingdom was only about 6,000 square miles. 20 years later, 60,000 square miles. Did David do a good job? Do you see why when Jesus shows up and the people say, Oh, we want to go back to the glory days, the days of King David. And King David was sort of like the peak of the pinnacle of success for Israel. And David is just enjoying this period of his life. I mean, there's kind of like a chicken in every pot. The kingdom is doing well. And then we read this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. Whoa, wait a second here. Where's the king? Where's the leader? You can't lead where you're not willing to go. And the Bible doesn't tell us why he stayed, but we know with idle hands comes trouble, and that's exactly what happened. This is the setting of David's sin with Bathsheba. And when word came to David from Bathsheba that I am with child, David did not feel like I felt some 28 years ago when my wife Jane gave word to me, similar words, you're going to be a father. I had all the pride and the joy of knowing that soon I was going to be a dad. Well, David did not feel that way. When David heard those words, I am with child, immediately his mind flashed to a rooftop. 
looking down upon a woman, a woman that was not his own. And he inquires about her. He says to a servant, who's that woman? And he goes and he comes back with the report. And his servant says, that is Bathsheba. Now watch this very carefully. The wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, who was he? He was one of David's mighty men. He was a faithful, loyal servant of David's. You say, well, how can a Hittite do that? He proselyted over and was following the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. That's a good thing, right? He was a loyal servant of David's. But this servant was quick to say, she's married, David. Be careful. I think he's throwing that in there, don't you? David, this is a taken woman, but that does not stop David. David says, bring her. And when the king comes, you got to pretty much what? you gotta, you got to come. And he lies with her. And now she's pregnant. And now he is for the first time hearing about it. Now this can't stand, and so the cover-up begins. He thinks, I don't know what I'll do. I'll just send to the battlefield, have my general Joab send Uriah home on leave, and then he'll lie with his wife, and he'll be no the, no, none the wiser. He'll figure it's just his child. And so Uriah comes home. He has a conversation with David, gives a report on the battle. And David says, now, go home to your wife. Here's a little gift. Enjoy yourself. And Uriah leaves, but he does not go home to his wife. And when David finds out about it, he continues. He the cover-up. He brings him back in, and this time he gets him drunk. He says, surely now he'll go home to his wife, but Uriah will not go home to his wife. And the next day David finds out about him, brings him in. He says, why didn't you go home to your wife? He says, how can I? When my men and the ark are in the battlefield, how can I go and enjoy my wife? I need to be out there serving the king. Oh, what a loyal servant, huh? And so David says, okay, wait a minute, and he takes out a pen and a paper, and he writes a letter to Joab, seals it up, and says, you write, take this letter to Joab, my general. And back to the battlefield he goes. The letter's given to Joab. Joab opens it. He reads it, and I'm sure he is shocked. Because the letter said something like this. Tomorrow, in the heat of battle... Go to the most fortified part of this city where the most intense fighting would be, where it would be impossible to break through, and then send Uriah the Hittite to the head of that battle spot. And then when he gets there, have the rest of the troops pull back. And it will appear as if Uriah dies on the battlefield. Now, Joab does not understand this. This is craziness. It's going to make Joab look bad, right? Because, first of all, the men would think, what a dumb command. Why would you go fight over there when this is the best part? That doesn't make any sense. And other people got killed. If a careful reading of that, you'll find it was not just Uriah the Hittite that died. Others died. Foolish. And Joab and David's relationship would never be the same after these orders were given. But Joab, 
is a faithful general, and he must obey the king as well. And the next day Uriah dies on the battlefield. And David thinks, great, the cover-up is done, and he takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and he thinks that is that. But you know, David knew he had done wrong. And I believe for some nine months while that child was within her, David sang no songs, he wrote no psalms, he prayed no prayers. See, when you're living in sin and you know that you've sinned and you know that your relationship with God is not what it needs to be or should be, you tend to what? Drift away from God. Now, has God moved? No, God doesn't move. God stays right where he was at. But David moved away. And he thinks he's gotten away with it, but then one day, knock, 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 knock. There's a knock on the door of the king's palace. And David opens, and it's Nathan the prophet. Hey, Nate, come on in. Good to see you. How are things going? Just great, David, but I do need to talk to you about something. Uh, and he tells him a story about this wealthy rich man who had cattle aplenty and sheep aplenty. And he really had it made in the shade, but he had a neighbor that was rather poor. And this poor neighbor only had one little lamb, just a little ewe lamb. They never intended to slaughter it. It was more of a pet than anything else. Actually lived in the house with them, you know, hugged it, cradled it. The kids played with it. It was, a, it was like a family pet. And then one day, the rich neighbor had a guest show up. And this rich neighbor, rather than taking one of his own flock, reached over the fence of his neighbor's flock and took that little ewe lamb, slaughtered it, and fed the guest. And David, being a shepherd, you know, he understands this kind of a relationship, right? He is boiling mad. Let me at him, let me at him. You can just see David. And Nathan says, David, what do you think should be done to this man? And David says, this man should die. And then Nathan points that bony prophet's finger at David and says, "What? read these words with me. You are the man. And one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart was he didn't blame others. He took responsibility. And he said, I am have sinned. King Saul, when Samuel approached and says, what is that bleeding I hear? Why are these sacrifices being made? Well, the soldiers made me do it. Oh, and they're going to go for God. They made excuses and blamed others. David realized his sin. You can't hide from God when you sin, right? You don't want God to look you think you're getting away with it, but you don't get away with it. God is everywhere. God sees what's going on here. He says, I have sinned. And in making that statement, we see his confession, his repentance, and his faith. Let's just read the psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. He writes this after he comes clean. Have mercy upon me, Psalm 51.1. Oh God, according to your unfailing love... According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. See the S at the end of that? There's multiple. 
Wash away all my iniquity. Not just some of it. Oh, Lord, take it all and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. See, you, you don't break God's laws. They break you. Every day he was thinking of the violation. That sin was always before him. He was feeling the guilt and the pain of the sin he had committed. Against you, you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Judge me any way you want, God, and you will be found right. I deserve whatever you're going to give me is what he's saying. Verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth. Where? In the inward parts. That part of you that you think no one else sees. It's just you and God. You know, everyone just sees you on Sunday, but the real you is the inward parts on Monday. God sees that. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice once again. Hide your face from my sins and blot out, there's that word all again, all my iniquity. What a beautiful prayer, amen? I mean, that's, that's not, well, Lord, I did it because of this, I did it because... There's no excuse making here. He's just coming totally and completely clean before his God. And in David's confession... And let's take a look at verses 6 through 9. He says, I've not been wise, but you can teach me wisdom. In verse 7, he says, I've not been pure, but you can make me pure. In verse 8, he says, I've not been joyful these nine months, but you can give me my joy back. I've not been innocent, but you can blot out all my iniquities. And in his appeal, he is confessing his sin. He wants wisdom back, he wants purity back, he wants his joy back, and he wants his innocence back. And so he says, God, I'm looking to you for the solution to my problem. In verse 6 he says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And then he goes on to ask for what? Wisdom. He wants truth. See, David's confessing. He's saying, I have not been honest about this. The cover-up was not honest. That was deceitful. And I've not been wise in the cover-up. I want my wisdom back. And so I'm confessing I was a fool when I went up on that rooftop. I was a fool when I looked upon that woman. I was a fool when I took her to myself. And I was a fool when I had her husband murdered. And I was a fool when I covered it all up. And I was a fool when I hid my face from you. You ever played the fool like David? And now he says, I need wisdom. Perhaps he needed the wisdom of Proverbs 6, verse 27 to 29, which reads, Can a man take fire to his chest and not be burned? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? And the answer is what? No. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. And can a man commit adultery and go unpunished? And the answer is, No. And I wonder how much of the wisdom of those words that Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 6 by inspiration. But he learned them from his father, David, 
earlier in his life. David asked God for wisdom. Have you ever so sinned a sin? Think about this for a moment. You've really, really messed up. It's a biggie. And you're sorry. You want to make it right, but you don't know how to make it right. And so, you have to pray to God for wisdom to fix it. Now, that's a sin, isn't it? You know, most sins, I imagine a lot of sins are secret sins. It's between you and God. You can fix those pretty easy. And I say keep short accounts with God when you sin, all right? But there are some sins, like this one, that are so big and so huge that you need to cry out to God, God, I need wisdom to fix this one and make it right. Ever so sin a sin? David is in a pickle, and he cries out to God for wisdom. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Hyssop. How many attended the Seder? Remember we talked about that hyssop branch, didn't we? Hyssop was that plant that grew out of the walls, and it was used to sprinkle on the doorpost at the Passover. Remember Dr. Freeman talked about you were to have the lamb inside the house, and you were to go to the threshold of the door, open it up, and dig a little trench out. And then you were to slaughter the lamb, and all that blood would pull up where? In that trench right outside your door. Then you were to take the hyssop branch, dip it in the blood of the lamb, and sprinkle it on the left side of the doorpost, the middle of the doorpost, and on the right side of the doorpost. And if you don't see Jesus, because that forms a perfect cross, doesn't it? That's what hyssop was used for in the very beginning at the Passover. And David reminds God of that. Hyssop was also used in the cleansing of people who had touched a dead body. Had David touched a dead body? Oh yeah, his own. He was far from God at this particular time in his life. And he acknowledges that. And in verse 3, or not verse 3, the third thing hyssop is used for is in the cleansing of the tabernacle. It was used to make the tabernacle fit for the presence of God. And so David, in asking to be purified with hyssop, he is confessing what? He's confessing, I've not been clean. He's confessing, I have not been pure. But he's also stating, I want to be. But God, I want to be. Yes, I messed up. But I want to be. Help me. Forgive me. And so I ask you a question. Can God purify and cleanse a man's sins after he's committed adultery and then murder? Can he? The answer is yes. And although David didn't understand it at the time, one day God would write it in blood on a place called what? Calvary. Verse 7 continues, Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Is there any sin that is dirtier than the sin of adultery? I mean, whether it be the mental adultery of the mind or the physical adultery of the body, 
But let me ask you this. Is there any whiter white than that of snow? God can take a man as filthy as a man or a woman can be and make them as white as snow. Look up Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 sometime. Isaiah will say, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as what? Snow. Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. What had David been hearing up to this point? Going over and over and over again in his mind. Maybe he kept hearing the cries of Bathsheba at her husband's funeral. See, that, that had only been about eight months earlier. Perhaps the complaints of Joab, his general, maybe those kept going over and over and over again in his mind. Maybe he's beginning to hear the rumors of the people. Perhaps he's hearing the groans of his own conscience. Maybe what he's hearing is those commandments that he grew up on. Every Jewish boy and every Jewish girl knew the what? How many commandments are there, folks? Just ten. What's the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not murder. What's the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not commit, you finish it, adultery. What did David just got through doing? Both of those. Both of those sins. And, and, he's, and he's feeling the weight of it every single day. You don't break God's laws, David's saying. They break you. He said, I can't take this anymore. The weight of my sin is ever before me. It's killing me. It's like my bones are being crushed in verse 8b. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He'll write in Psalm 15.1, Who may live on your holy hill? He who does his neighbor no wrong. But how does he read those words now? Is he reading those words that he wrote in that psalm with joy or with judgment? With judgment. His own words are coming back to haunt him. Just as we'll see happens in his son's life next week. Remember he had a son named Solomon with Bathsheba. They'll have a child again. He lost this child. But God will give him another child and put him on the throne. But that boy took on a lot of the traits, the bad traits of his daddy. But now he... He wants the judgment to leave, and in a student hearing bones being crushed, he wants joy once again in his life. And then in verse 9, he says, Hide your face from my sins. Hide your face from my sins. That's what David wanted God initially to do. Hey, don't look over here, God. Nothing happened in between me and Bathsheba. Don't look, God. Don't look. See, when you're in the throes of sin, you don't want God looking. You don't want to think about God looking, don't, do you? And so at this point, at that point in his life, he's saying, God, hide your face from me. But now he wants to come clean. And he says, God, no longer hide your face from me. Look at me, but hide your face from my what? Sin. Isn't this a good prayer? Isn't this a good psalm? <laughs> Whenever you need to come clean, come to this psalm and apply it to your life and your sin. And God will be there. 
Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. But now He wants God to look at Him, but not His sin. Verse 9b goes on to say, And blot out some of my iniquities or all of my iniquities. All of them. Not just the Bathsheba thing. Not just the Uriah the Hittite thing. I want them all blotted out. God, I want that relationship that we once had to continue. I want that relationship of Psalm 32.22. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not count his sins against him. I want that man back. Can God blot out a man's sins? Absolutely. And I think parents probably teach this lesson of God's grace and God's forgiveness better than anybody else on earth. Have you ever been forgiven by a father or a mother when you really, really messed up something bad? You remember me telling you when I was 10 years old that I got a BB gun? Begged and begged and begged for a whole year. Finally, at 10 years of age, I got my BB gun. And I broke all the rules. I did everything I said I wouldn't do. And then one day, no one's home. It's just me in the backyard. I think mom was next door at, at Joyce's house and visiting, having a cup of coffee, and I'd run out of BBs. There is nothing worse than having a BB gun and no BBs to shoot. And uh, I'm only 10. I don't have any money. I don't have transportation to get them. And you could not buy BBs at, a, at the age of 10. You had to have a parent there with you. And I was really, really frustrated because I wanted to continue to shoot my BB gun. And then I remembered something in my mother's jewelry box that resembled very much something like a BB. And so I remember, she's not home, right? I go into the bedroom. I lifted the lid off of her jewelry uh, uh, container. And I saw these white things. Some were too big to fit in my BB gun, most of them. But there were some just about the right size. And I broke the string... And I put the ones that would fit in my BB gun, and I cocked it, and I took a shot in the house. I thought, these look like they're safe for indoors. And when it hit the wall, it just sort of powdered. And I thought, wow, that is really cool. Just like in the westerns, you know, when it hit a rock. And I thought, this is so cool. Indoor BBs, you know. And about that time, mom walks in and says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I found these really cool indoor BBs in your jewelry box. And she goes, oh, Bruce. And she goes into the bedroom, and I follow her, and she looks at what I had done. And she looked me in the eye, and I could just see she began to tear up. And she was very, very hurt that I would do such a thing. And I had no idea what I had done. She said, Bruce, these were real. Real what? I'm a 10-year-old. They were real pearls. I'd shut up a bunch of her pearls that were on her necklace. Not only did I break it, but I shot the indoor BBs. And my mom began to cry, and oh, I'm feeling like what? Anybody relate? Any other 10-year-olds in the room? Remember when you were 10? And I began to cry. And I, I feel so bad. I said, Mom, I didn't know they were real. I didn't really know what they were. I'm, I am so sorry. And then I began to cry more than Mom began to cry. And I began to shake and sniffle. And, and I was all upset. And my mom's thinking, uh-oh. This, now her concern has switched from the pearls to who? Her son. Her precious pearl. 
And I'm shaking, and I'm sorry, Mom, I'm so sorry. And, and she had to finally embrace me, but it, I'm shaking her and shaking me. And she finally put her hands on my shoulders. And she looked right in my eye, and she said, Bruce, you are forgiven. It's going to be okay. Oh, you know how good that felt. You know how wonderful that felt to hear my mother tell me it's going to be okay. And I bring my broken life to God. And I'm shaken and I'm sorry. And I say, God, look, I messed it up. Look what I've done with it. I've broken it. And God says, Bruce, God says, church, it's going to be okay. I will put wisdom in your inward parts. I will purify you with hyssop and make you white as snow. I will make you to hear gladness so that your bones can rejoice. I will blot out all your iniquities and I will hide my face from you no more. Thank God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we too admit, like King David, we have messed up. And we have broken Your laws, which have resulted in our loss of joy. And Lord, this morning, we admit it. We did it. And we confess it. We want our joy back. Therefore, we confess our sins to You. And if you so messed up that you need God's forgiveness this morning, you need His wisdom, you need His power, you need to feel that joy once again. Maybe in your own heart you'll repeat these words of David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're here this morning, you've never named Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You want to get right with your God. You want to live eternally with Him in heaven. You can come forward this morning. Give me your hand. Give God your heart. And through faith, repentance, and baptism, you can claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, and become that man, become that woman to whom the Lord will not impute sin, like the Bible says. If that's you, and you want to be baptized today, come right now as we stand together and sing and meet me right up here in the front row. Right now, let's stand and let's sing together.